Hey, this is John Five, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. What's up? This is Scott Stapp, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey everybody, this is Ron Bumblefoot Thal of Art of Anarchy, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 336 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Sean, coming from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Starting off this episode, we have an interview with guitarist Bumblefoot, formerly of Guns N' Roses. He has a new band called Art of Anarchy, and they just released a new album called The Madness. The band features Scott Stapp on vocals and John Moyer on bass. Before we get to that interview, though, here's a track from the album. This is the title track, The Madness. Pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have Bumblefoot on the line. How you doing, Bumblefoot? Good, man. How are you? Doing great. Um, you guys are set to collectively, as Art of Anarchy, release a new album here uh, just in the next couple of weeks. Can you talk a little bit about, um, obviously, the change in vocalists? Uh, I guess, technically, if Scott was ever officially your vocalist, that's a whole different subject we can maybe get into. But uh, you're working with Scott Stapp of uh, Creed fame, obviously. Uh, now on vocals. Can you talk a little bit about how he kind of came into the fold in the new album? Sure, I can give you a whole bunch of history. Uh, it really, it starts about 20 years ago. I'll try and condense it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have um, all afternoon, man. It's up to you. <laughs> all right, good, because it's going to take 20 years to tell this story. Um, it's John and Vince Voda. They're the guys who really started the band. They're twin brothers, one plays guitar, the other plays drums. And years ago, when they were teenagers, I had a studio, uh, we were all in the boroughs of New York City, and I would record their bands and, and uh, sometimes produce their stuff, and we always stayed friends, stayed friends with the family. And through the years, 
we're just always part of each other's lives. And then in 2011, you know, they kind of took a break from music for a while and, and then they got back into it. In 2011, they hit me up and said, look, we want to make the album we always wanted to make and the one we never got to. There were always people telling us what we needed to sound like and to follow trends and to not follow who we were. And, you know, they're, they're like old school metal has a very big on Megadeth and Metallica mm-hmm. and also old Kiss, uh, big Kiss fans. Uh, me too. Yeah. So I was like, come on, let's do it. Brought them into the studio. They had 10 songs written. When I say songs, I mean the drums and the guitar. And that's it. They had 10, I guess you could say, skeletons of songs written. And we laid them down. And as we were laying them down, I was like, hey, Rob, why don't you throw a guitar part on? I was like, yeah, sure. So I just throw something on whatever came to mind, whatever felt right. And after it was all done, I was like, all right, let's start finding some singers to sing on this stuff. And the original idea was to get different singers to sing on different songs. And they were just doing this just to make the album they always wanted to make and the music they always wanted to make. So Scott Weiland was the first one to sign on. And and he did the song Till the Dust is Gone. And the whole idea behind this thing was that everybody can do what they want, however they, you know, envision, interpret the music to whatever they want to do to make it their own, whatever feels right to them. So that's what Scott did. He just came up with all the lyrics and melodies and everything. And after that, it turned into him doing the whole album. And then John Moyer from Disturbed joined on bass. And now the thing is growing, it's evolving beyond what we originally were talking about. Originally, right. this was just gonna be like a, an album project for them to just do something just for themselves. Right, now you've got and a super now group. It's becoming <laughs> something, yeah. it's becoming something more. Right. So next thing you know, we got a deal on Century Media Records. And then at that point, Scott, while in distanced himself publicly, very much so from the whole thing. Right. And it's like, all right, well, this thing's coming out and let's just see where it goes and let's just, you know, it's taking on its own life. So let it, let's let it do that and not cut it short or, or stop its growth. And two months later, we were talking to Scott Stapp and we flew down to Florida at this point, this is the summer of 2015. And we, we uh, hopped in a rehearsal room and we just started jamming, uh, just making up stuff on the spot and just seeing how we gelled. And we did. So next month, Scott came up to New York and it was the five of us in a room doing exactly what you picture a band doing. Five guys just writing from scratch you know, just jamming, coming up with ideas, and little tape recorder in the corner of the room, capturing the jams. Mm-hmm. And we wrote half the album that way. Half of the album happened from that week and a half, two weeks of us just busting out one or two song ideas a day, and just all five of us just doing it like a band. Now, Ron, one of, one of the things I, I kind of, when I heard Scott was involved, uh, listening to, to obviously Creed has such a body of work, and even Scott's solo material, Scott always sounds like Scott. 
Uh, he's got a certain approach to singing and, and melodies and things like that. Did did you kind of take that into account and, and maybe try to write guitar parts a little differently to try to move him out of that, or or just kind of let him do what he does? No, we won't ever want to do what they do. That's that's how it should be. The last thing you want to do is change somebody. It's like, why would you bring Scott Stapp into a band and not have him do what Scott Stapp does? And you might as well not get him, get somebody sure. else. Of course, we whoever is in the band, they get to be who they are and contribute everything that you know that they would normally contribute. And that's what makes a band work. You, know, you don't want to water down the identity of anybody. You know, all the best bands, all the bands that I loved and all the bands that I always, you know, my whole life since I was a little kid, I started playing music when I was six years old. I heard the Kiss Alive album when I was five. That's what made me want to do it. And Kiss and the Beatles were my first loves as far as music. And the thing about both of those bands is that you can say the people's names it's like you you know the band on a first name basis you could say john paul george ringo and you know who it is and what those names mean musically mm-hmm. and what those personalities sound like when they come together it creates something that's just one in the entire universe and nothing else will ever be like it and the same thing with gene paul peter ace is the same kind of thing i always wanted to have a band where you listen and you can pick out exactly what each person brings into that music and it's going to be one of a kind. Now, I'm not saying that Heart of Anarchy is reinventing the wheel or, or mm. you know, doing anything like kissing the Beatles. You know, we're just doing what we do and we're writing songs and we're, we're just being who we are. And I hope that when people listen, they can also hear that. They can listen and they'll hear Scott being Scott and exactly like you said, like he brings those certain very ear friendly melodies that he comes up with and he has a very identifiable voice. And then you have Moyer from Disturbed that just comes up with really cool grooves. Mm-hmm. Uh stuff like Echo of a Scream, just like you know, that that kind of stuff. Sure. And then you have John and Vince who have this primal old school metal attack to the way they play like even in that song like I'll do my solo thing and and usually I'm kind of I guess I bring in the left of center kind of stuff and what I call artsy farsi yeah Uh, you know I'm I'm like the I always say like you know one of my favorite Beatles was George Martin the producer Mm -hmm. Sure. Because he would take the stuff and he would turn it into something that that's really unique for the ears. And that's always been where I ended up uh, when it came to just making music or what I added to it. So I'm doing that. And, you know, I'll do my guitar solo and then you hear John Voto rip into his and it sounds like one of those old thrash metal solos where he's just tearing the string apart and you can pick out everybody's identities yeah I, I, I bring in I kind of enjoy in, in your playing it reminds me I don't think you necessarily sound like him but just the element that Steve Vai brought to some of the you know the David Lee Roth recordings where you know it's different oh, nice. from what you necessarily so um, yeah I love picking that up my my question I, I guess where I was headed was 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 there anything you had to do consciously so it didn't sound like Creed 
I guess maybe. Oh no. I mean, yeah. What we, you know, what we saying? We must not sound like Creed. Uh, no, no. We were just writing how we write, and we figured that no matter what, it's not going to sound like Creed because I'm not Tremonti. You know, we're we're right. different human beings, and and it's different spirits. So, I mean, there's always going to be a connectivity because it's the same focal point, the same mm-hmm. voice. Uh, you know, Scott sounds like Scott and that's part of what made Creed sound like Creed and that's what makes this sound like this and it's definitely going to make the two have something musically in common Certainly. but I would say if you listen if you take away the voice and you listen to the music I don't think yeah. they sound the same yeah I agree with you completely the, the, musically it does not sound like you know from a you know strip away the vocals it does not sound like a Creed album um, you have had the opportunity to work with probably three of the more iconic vocalists of the last 30 years with Axel and Scott and Scott. Um, something in particular about your personality that kind of lends to working with, you know, some guys who might've been otherwise labeled high maintenance in your career. <laughs> um, you know, I've worked with, I just work with everybody. I, I love making music with all kinds of people and nobody scares me off. Uh, you know, I've worked well. I've, I've done a gig with Nancy Sinatra. I've done a lot of work with uh, Daryl McDaniels from DMC, Run DMC. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked with um, one of my all-time favorite singers, Tony Harnell from TNT. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I I like working with people. I like not having a comfort zone or not staying in a comfort zone and just taking on whatever comes along and especially if it's something unexpected like you don't expect to get a email saying hey uh, you want to try out for Guns N' Roses yeah so when the universe sends something that unexpected it's a sign that you should probably explore it yeah and I think that says something about your ability um to kind of succeed is, is uh, you know, dare I say, guitar hero. It's maybe not a word that people like to hear, but you're kind of you you really rose to fame as kind of the guitar hero in an era where there wasn't guitar heroes. You know, and, and, you know, a lot of those guys from the '80s, you know, kind of still do what they do with the bands they did, or they're fighting with bands that they were in over the names and things like that. But you know, when you look at your success, it kind of you've peaked after the guitar, you know, '80s guitar hero era, in an era where there wasn't guitar heroes. You know, and I think that says a lot about your personality and you know the ease of working with you as a musician, obviously. Oh, cool. And certainly the same with Thank John. You. John has been in. I can't even begin to count sometimes the amount of you know material we see come in with John's name on it with a mob and you know obviously disturbed and, and and you know countless other bands he's worked with yeah he's played with amazing people yeah now really do you guys has. obviously with when you start to you know have band members of this magnitude scheduling becomes tricky sometimes um do you guys have anything firm or, or about to become public, you know, for this year for touring on this? Yeah, yeah. In fact, we were supposed to put out something today, but we just got to tweak a few things <laughs> before we do. Um, yeah, we're going to be doing shows in April. Uh, yeah, there's definitely things coming up. Uh, do you yeah, we'll be hitting the road. 
Okay. In the U.S., do you know, or is it I mean, a lot of bands yeah. this time of year? They oh, they say we've got Europe all laid out, but then you know, unfortunately, the United States is always a trickier thing to tour in. You know, for any band. Yeah, we're gonna we're planning to start with the U.S. Yeah, which is fantastic. Um, Ron, um, do you still dabble in the soul material? Has this got you kind of all consumed at the moment? Well, it's kind of like everything is a juggling act, and sometimes you have to spend a little extra time with one of the balls. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that just sounds weird. Um, but, yeah, so so I'm doing everything that, that I've always done, whether it's making music for some indie horror movie or or producing a band or playing in a band or doing my own stuff or going out and doing work with the State Department, like doing these, these programs with, you know, traveling around the world with different, meeting with different musicians from around the world, mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of stuff like that. And sometimes certain things need to be on the back burner while other things have to be prioritized. So right now, Art of Anarchy is definitely a big priority. Uh, and then in the spaces in between, I'm still going out and doing a bunch of solo stuff. In fact, I just uh, just played, how many days ago? What is today? Yeah, figure about a week ago, I played in Thailand uh, a big biker festival. It's kind of like Sturgis okay. of, of Thailand, like 50,000 people there and just headlined it doing solo stuff. Awesome. Oh, and then the week before that, it was Monsters of Rock, music cruise. Um, and then two weeks before that, it was Ship Rocked. And that's all solo stuff. So you're staying quite busy. Um, do you plan on yeah. doing any new recordings, solo recordings? I do. I do. I just got to... You gotta start writing. <laughs> you gotta find the time I've been to write. Writing for a long time. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like to just sort of clear the brain and and just get into that momentum of of writing. Uh, I'm probably gonna have to do it while I'm on the road, like on the tour bus, where it's yeah. yeah that's why I did the last record. I did I half probably, of it while probably get a lot of writing done on the flight back from Thailand. You know, put a couple tracks <laughs> together on that. It's a shame you can't build yeah, your rig. Back, yeah, coming back from there with a long layover in Tokyo was like 34 hours door to door from leaving there to to walking in the door at home. Yeah, didn't I think Led Zeppelin two was done in that time? You should be able to rip out an album, <laughs> take, a ta take the Tascam with you on the plane, and be good uh, to go. But yeah, yeah the last album that I did, the last solo album, I pretty much wrote that whole album while I was on the road. The first half of it I wrote, I was touring South America with, with guns, and then as soon as that all finished, I jumped onto a, a tour with Ingvay Malmsteen, and we toured around the U.S. and Canada, and I wrote the rest of the album there. Now, like, when you're doing these kind of tours, is that do you feel kind of influences from the you know the day job? kind of creeping in or I mean or let's say you're on the road with with Ingvi that's got to kind of ratchet up you know an extra gear in any guitarist do you find that creeping into your recordings at all definitely because you're writing from what you're experiencing in life so whatever is happening at that moment and however you feel and whatever is inspiring you and whatever you're living day to day 
is definitely going to put itself into the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, did you get a chance to see, the, you know, the reunited, for lack of a better word, Guns N' Roses tour at this point? <laughs> you know, that would be like going to like an ex-girlfriend's wedding. Yeah. <laughs> and just like standing in the back and like, nah. No. I mean, I, I know that they're doing great and I'm very happy for them that everything is going so well, but of course it would. Uh, I have some good friends that, that are still uh, in the loop with sure. it all and and I'm happy to hear that things are going really well. Well, that's, that's good. Um, so the album comes out, the Art of Anarchy album comes out in March. Uh, well, hopefully by the time you know people hear this, we'll have some tour dates to talk about in the U.S. and with any luck, we'll have you, you know, some, somewhere in the state of Pennsylvania or western Ohio, or eastern Ohio, we can catch you guys. Beautiful. Uh, Ron, I want to thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you, man. Oh, pleasure is mine. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Okay, I'd like to thank Bumblefoot for taking the time to talk to us. Again, the album is called The Madness, and Art of Anarchy is currently out on tour, so check them out. Up next, I had a chance to talk to emerging artist Stephen J. Verton. Stephen has a new album called Ghost, Shadow, and Sunny. He talks to us about the story behind that album. Before we get to that, though, here's the lead track off the album. This is called Radio. Stephen J. Verton. How you doing today, Stephen? Good. Thanks, Sean. Pleasure to be here, and welcome to everybody out there in Internet land. <laughs> wow, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the album that you uh, recently released. Um, probably been out almost two months now. I can't believe it's almost April. Um, the album's called Ghost, Shadow, and Sun. Um, and uh, so could you talk to us a little bit about uh, how this album came to be? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, the, the album itself concept was uh, done over a couple of years, written over a couple, few years, and um, the, the the impetus of it was based on some personal tragedy that um, that I had I had gone through, and as a result, I had a, a number of all these songs in some way, shape, or form kind of kind of dovetailed into this, and it was really a process of 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 having lost a loved one and then. Kind of coming through the other side, there was a 
good five years of of kind of I don't know what you call it, uh, no man's land for me, and uh, mm-hmm. very challenging time. And then I started to kind of come through the other side. And as I was transitioning, you know, uh, out that out that way, uh, these songs were all came out of that particular time period over over a couple of years. Right, right. So it was kind of a catharsis for you. Well, I, I think so. Yeah, I think that that probably had has you know was part of the result of it. You know, going through, you get to actually was able to take mm-hmm. those things that were going on and place them in a context that made some good sense. And um, you know, for me, and, and rather than telling stories because I'm a kind of an obsessively private person, so rather right. than you know kind of sit there and tell stories about it, I kind of placed the, the songs in a context where anybody. Uh, who's going through any number of things. They don't just apply to grief. I think people can take mm-hmm. their template of, you know, whatever's going on in their lives and take that and, 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 and drop those into the song. So I think they speak to people at different, at very different levels in very different ways, depending on what's going on in their lives. But not, right. you know, where they're telling a story so they're hearing, you know, Steve's, you know, Steve's, Steve's story along the way. Right, right. Um, now... Your songwriting process, then. So you you mentioned writing this over a couple of years and whatnot. Is this? Would you start with the lyrics or would you start with the music? That's a that's a tough question. You know, it's funny. I <laughs> oftentimes for me, what'll happen is, you know, for me, writing comes very very easy. The the, okay. the 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 least of my challenges as an artist is writing material and coming up with coming up with concepts and songs. Um, my challenges are always more based on the actual technical proficiency. You know, getting really married into the the technicality of the instrumentation. That was always mm-hmm. my stuff. The, the the songwriting came really easy. And usually, what'll happen is I never really have an idea. I don't think and say, okay, I've got this concept in my head. I'm going to go ahead and write this out. Usually, what happens is I'll be in a situation. I could be um, I could be in the car, and maybe there's a truck driving next to me, and they're, they're, the tire of the truck is making a, has a certain cadence, certain sound that's coming out. And all of a sudden, I'll, I'll hear that cadence, and something will just start to click in my head, you know, and I'll get this this kind of uh, thread of a tune that'll come in, or it could be a phrase. Usually, the music will start. The, it comes from a pattern of some kind. The music will start in my head, and then I'll start to babble, really literally right. babbling, you know, words that don't make any sense. And then all of a sudden, through that babbling and getting the getting the the the, 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 um, the, um, the kind of the, uh, the tune done, I will there'll be a thread. Some some phrase will come out. It just comes out of nowhere, and all of a sudden these words will come together. And then I use that that ball of th- you know that ball of yarn. I'll take that thread and I start to pull it forward, and and the right. song comes out of that particular phrase. And and it just seems seems to kind of come very naturally. You know, I don't really. It's like mm-hmm. the, somebody else is pushing a pen. I don't really have to think very hard right. about where it is. I just sit down and take the paper out, and next thing I know, in a couple of minutes, I've got the I've got the song basically written lyrically. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and it's uh, something that just happens at any time, and and, and uh, which is very cool. Um, now, did you play all the instruments yourself, or did you have a band behind you? Um, if you had a band, did they kind of help flesh some of the songs out when you were getting into the studio? Uh, that's another great question um, it, because it was it gets it's kind of a convoluted answer. So I'll try to read or digest it for you without putting you know, putting you in a comment. And everybody else out there, you know, if I if I give you the whole thing, it started out. I had I had the band together, I Savant, and we'd been together for for many years. I played with the bass player for eighteen, nineteen years, and okay, we had wow. uh, yeah, the drummer for last drummer was probably in there for six or seven. So I had some really good success with the band, and and we had 
different guitars that would float in and out. So I usually, when I'm playing with the band, I have um, a concept in my head of what I want the song to sound like. I've got that vibe and I have an idea where I want it to go. But of course, when you're working collaboratively with people, you know, you have to be you have to be right. um, circumspect about the process, and I'm not a uh, dictatorial kind of guy. So, and people will always play better when they feel like they've got their thumbprint in it. So, I provide a certain amount of latitude, and we work together as a good team, um, where they would kind of help. You know, they're in charge of their instruments, so they're going to help kind of shift things a certain way. So maybe something comes out sounding a little bit more with a little more '70s edge than I might have liked, mm-hmm. given 100% control. Um, you know, or, or something a little bit more, a little more intense than maybe I liked, or a little bit too. I would have preferred it to be more intense. So I've had these guys um, that were part of the band, and they got most. We got most of the CD done with them intact. Then um, about we started recording. I got about halfway through the CD. We got these their parts got recorded, and then right. both of them within like a few weeks of each other had to move out of the state. For different reasons, you know, one ended up mm-hmm. in Florida, one up in Georgia. So now I got this half-baked kind of kind of CD that's left. So I started to then fill out all the rest of the parts, and then I had to have some of the parts that they had laid down. Several of those parts needed to be replaced as well. And mm-hmm. so I called in a, a couple of different musicians along the way. I did some of the parts myself, and then ultimately, eventually, it's a, CD took a lot longer to, to get done than I would have expected. I think we went through right. technical changes on software as well during the recording process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one of the nice things, too, about you know technology today is, I, don't, I guess musicians don't have to be all in the same area. You can bounce stuff back and forth across across the country, across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, did do you like working like that, or do you prefer to have everyone all together? Well, I think there's an energy that comes right. out of having everybody in the same room, and I and I really enjoy that part of it. Being a solo mm-hmm. artist, this is a brand new experience for me, and you know, mm-hmm. kind of really like starting over. You know, because you right, get right. unless you're a very, very, very well-known musician, uh, an artist, you know, people don't remember you like that. You know, so you've right, got to, right. you know, you got to be a big name to do that. And um, you know, if you're Don Henley and you're coming out of the Eagles, you know, everybody kind of knows who you are. So mm-hmm. in this case, it's really starting over. And I missed, I missed the camaraderie of that. Uh, it's very different when you're working with studio musicians. They, they have a different, you know, view towards what they're doing. But then again, you get full control. You know, and you can say, this right. is what I've got in mind. So the current process, when I'm working on a, on a whole new set, I'm hoping to release another CD in um, January of next year, is okay. um, I'm able to, I'm proficient enough on the instruments, to the, the relevant instruments, to, you know, that's it, keyboards, guitar, vocals, mm-hmm. bass, uh, drums I can program in. And I have an engineer that I work with that I've been working with for 25 years. So okay. and we work very steady. We work several times a week together. And so um, I can kind of get the, 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 the uh, objective now is to kind of get a scratch, a very a reasonably baked full uh, track down, you know, uh, and then bring that out to the guys that I hire in and say, okay, here you go, this is what I have in mind. You know, do your thing, play at your proficiency level, but here's kind of where the song is going. And I think they'll have a much more um, um, fully baked idea as opposed to when you're just working with a band and you're kind of working the songs out. Right, right, right. Um, now, and you mentioned being you know involved in music, you know, twenty five years. You had your band, I Savant. Um, obviously, a lot has changed over the time. Do you think it's easier <laughs> now, or do you think it was easier then, or do you think 
you know, your thoughts on how the industry has kind of evolved because, you know, as an independent artist, you've got a lot more avenues available to you than you did 18, 10, even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, as you say, right, you know, it's, it's, and and it seems like everything in today's, today's days with technology, it's a, it's a, the sword cuts both ways, right? right? So on one hand, you know, you've got this ability to capture a worldwide audience, Put your stuff out there. You barely need to leave your house, you know, mm-hmm. as, as in the day when you had to, you know, you really had to tour, right? You had to, you had to go out. Right. You had to play clubs. You had to do the physical part of, of, of engaging, whereas today you don't have that, you don't have quite that, those same restrictions, and you can target market where you go to. You can boost your pages mm-hmm. on Facebook. There's a there's hundred ways, a thousand ways to market yourself and, and to get your stuff out there. That's the, that's the positive side. Right. The other side of it is, the amount of traffic that's out there and the amount of friction of trying to get yourself seen, you know, trying to differentiate yourself amongst so much, uh, mm-hmm. so much product out there. The right. record companies don't engage the way they used to. They don't get behind a hundred bands and fund them and say, okay, let's, you know, let's see which of the three, you know, make it to our A team. And then we got a few B players and we're going to fund right. these guys at different levels. Today, you're basically out there on your own. You're funding yourself unless you're already an extremely well-established artist. The record companies are betting on the sure thing, and then they force-feed a lot of those groups to the general public, you know, to ensure profitability. So when you're out there, you're you're battling a lot of, you know, for example, I I go out and I I send out some people to like my page. For every one person that I send a friend request to, right, like my page, I will get 50 in response. You like right. my page, you know, and they say, you know, you got, you know, a, a Facebook page full of, you know, thousands of requests for you to like everybody else's stuff. So there's right. a lot of the back and forth and, and just a lot. Of, I know how people can, it's very difficult to get yourself out there and get the people to acknowledge what you're doing. Right, right, right. Um, now, one way you've you kind of done that, you have a video out for uh, the song Ghost, which is uh, it's an amazing song and the video is really cool. Um can you talk about how this video came together? Sure. Well, and thank you. Thank you for your, your kind words on that. Um, so Ghost came about, again, I'll, I'll try and read his digest for you. I, okay. I went through a, a period, that song is, is was specifically about, very specifically about the grieving process and that, mm-hmm. you know, there's this, this, this time period that you go through, but no matter how bad it is, you know, and it doesn't matter whether you lost a, a parent or a child or a, or a pet even, or a friend, it's all the same in, in certain ways. When people get to that, that, that point of grief, it is cons- it's, it's consuming, you know, and it, and it right. takes over everything. Again, it doesn't really matter whom it is. If you love that person or that pet or whomever, it's going to be the same for you. So mm-hmm. I was, um, I had gone through, obviously, that period, and then this particular song was about that, you know, you go through this, but there is light. And I realized through my own process that no matter how bad it was, at some point you find your way through and there is, there is an end to this thing. But the only thing that matters and the only thing that is, is time and, and, you know, time and distance from the, from the incident. That's the only thing that's going to actually create a healing process. So mm-hmm. I went through this period where I had a bunch of people that were coming across my radar that had experienced death. You know, and, and there were all these people that were kind of flying into my into my sphere of, of 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 influence, and I started getting that heavy feeling again that I had already been through. You know, and I thought, right. well, you know, what am I gonna what am I gonna do here? You know, this is this is I got to figure out a way to kind of balance the scales again. So before I would allow myself to go down that road, I was trying to think of something positive to do, and the ghost popped into my head. The song was already done and completed, 
And I was mm-hmm. thinking, how do I, how do you put this in context, in a visual context that people can, you know, kind of get the message without me having to field all these, these conversations, all these people that are coming towards me, right? And right. so I thought, all right, Ghost, that's a great, that song says it all. So immediately upon connecting with that, I thought video, the Ghost video was in my head, exactly what I, how I wanted to message it. So I ended up... Okay. Through a bunch of circumstances, I found this uh, guy by the name of Matt Zane, who's a videographer in Los Angeles. Amazing guy, does amazing work. Anybody, if you're looking for somebody to to get your stuff in a visual context that makes sense to you at a very reasonable price, this is definitely the guy. He's a mm-hmm. total professional and really cool guy. So we went in and we put this video thing, and it was uh, it was quite a quite a process. It was a 14-hour shoot. Six of those hours I was underwater, you know, getting pelted yeah. by rain, as you've seen in the mm-hmm. video. And I was getting pelted by this, you know, this, this rain machine for <laughs> a good solid <laughs> six hours of it. And, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it was one of the best experiences of my life ever. One of the most challenging right. things I've ever done, but it was an amazing experience to get it done. And the final product is uh, definitely uh, definitely paid off, I think. Um, how did the guitar survive all the water? <laughs> Uh, uh, how, well, <laughs> well, you know, I, I used an old guitar. As a matter of fact, it was funny okay. because I used the very first acoustic guitar I ever owned, which was, you know, I bought when I was like like 14 years old or something like that. Right, right. And I had given it to my son a few years ago, and I was thinking, oh, what am I going to use for a guitar? Well, I guess I go to a guitar center and go buy a guitar, you know? And I thought, oh, that guitar pops in my head. So I called my son and said, hey, Marcus, you still got that guitar that I gave you? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I got that, Dad. I said, okay, great. I'm going to go pick it up because i got to shoot in a couple of days. I go over to his place, and he was living like, a hundred yards from the beach at this point, right? From the, from uh-huh. the water. He hands me the guitar and it's got, literally, it's got like these green barnacles growing on the, on the machine heads. And it's like, dude, what'd you do to this thing? You know, he goes, oh, dad, he goes, I, I, I put it in front of the, the window there. You know, I said, why don't you put it in the case? He goes, well, it looked really good on the stand. <laughs> oh man, he doesn't play guitar, right? So right, I said, all right. Yeah. So, so I had to bring it down and had an emergency cleaned up and so forth. But it, I, I put a, a rubber stopper in the, in the sound hole. And yeah. put a good sheet of wax on it, you know, and then just made sure I dried it at the end of the at the end of the yeah. of the of the, of the recording. So. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very cool video, and uh, we'll link it on the, to our site here when we when we uh, air the interview. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got your start and and your influences and and you know where it all came from for you? Sure, um, I started on the accordion when I was five. And you know, I was a, I was a, I was a problematic child, so to speak, and uh, kind of mm-hmm. an ADHD overload, you know, times three. Right. And um, my parents were trying to find some way to, you know, settle me down. So the psych said, "Hey, you probably should get him involved in something specific for him, um, suggesting music or sports or whatever." And I was already playing a lot of mm-hmm. sports and so forth, so that wasn't. I was always right. outside as a kid. So my parents said, "Okay, look, you know, again, you know, we're gonna give you some guitar, you know, some music lessons here. What do you want to What do you want to play?" And for some bizarre reason I picked the accordion you know just probably the complexity of it and the, the buttons and knobs and all that and I thought I picked the accordion so got started on that and um, played that for about five years thereabouts and then at some point you know puberty kicked in and kind of realized that this was just not a sexy beast right, machine right. and it, it, it was just <laughs> not going to attract the chicks you know and you know right. no matter how you try to pose with an accordion you just can't make it look cool right no. you, you, you just can't do it you, you try but you end up falling over or doing something you know <laughs> harmfully yourself so then I you know switched over to um, guitar you know around that age and got into something a little bit cooler but the, the accordion was a great 
it was a great experience. You know, there's a lot of cool oh, things yeah. that came out of that. And you, you learn, you know, you learn how to use your left hand and your right hand in very, very different ways. You're on a standard keyboard. You know, you are using left and right, but it's basically curves out in front of you. Even on a guitar, you know, your hand, your, your strings on both sides. Mm-hmm. When you're accordion, you got buttons on one side, you got keys on the other side, and you got a bunch of buttons that you got to push as you right. as you manipulate the the things up, and you're pulling the bellows back and forth. You know, so there's a there's a lot going on there. Definitely. Yeah, good 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 way to train the brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, now you mentioned uh, you got another CD coming, and uh, was this one? Easier to write than the first first one you got out, or well, still, the jury's um, still out on that. The, the, well, the, the the one previous to Go Shadow and Sun, that was uh, that one was a fun one to write. I had I enjoyed right. that was that was thoroughly a great project. That's called Waterline, and that was that was very cool. That was a, that was a fun CD to get done. And then Waterline, of course, or um, Go Shadow and Sun became a bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. And this one, I'm just working through the songs now. And it's not written yet. I've got about four or five songs that are that are in various different um, levels of, okay. of composition. I just started getting back to the process in February, the beginning of February. Okay. So I'm I'm being pretty aggressive on this one. I want this one to be kind of written, done, and recorded, and mastered, and then released. I'm aiming for January of next year. So I got a bet okay. going with my engineer because he says there's absolutely no way I'm going to do that. And uh, so that's and then I'm going to release. I'm re-releasing Waterline. I bring that up because I'm re-releasing that CD sometime this summer. And we've remastered uh, the tracks from that particular CD because it's a great CD, really, really okay. well well crafted. So cool. I'm going to I'm re um, remastering that, and then we're going to release that sometime in the summer as, a, as an in between. Okay, cool. Now, do you have any uh, desire to take it out on the road? Every day, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I miss the live playing. That is probably right, been the hardest right. part about being a solo artist is is the mm-hmm. live playing. The band thing. Uh, I'm not sure why I decided to, to take this solo, and I'm not 100% fully on that. I think it right. has to do with, you know, the, the style that I, I pursue. If you listen to um, Ghost and you see the mm-hmm. video, most people say, okay, look, that's it's not country, but it's it's alternative Eh, borderline country. It's a ballad, you know. And right, so right. they may look at that and then they see, you know, I'm not 22 years old anymore. And so they probably go, well, you know, the rest of a CD is probably a collection of these acoustic songs. Well, the ghost sits on the very left end of the spectrum. The balance mm-hmm. of the CD is at varying different levels of aggression and, and moving yeah. up to, towards metal. There's grunge, alternative, um, you know, rock, blues, and, there's, and there, it, it, I kind of have taken a, a variety of different genres or even... Um, you know, over the decades, and kind of brought the you know that decade into the next decade, and and kind of collecting them as I go. So I think there's a mis probably would be a misconception for most people seeing the ghost, you know, the video, hearing the song, right. and thinking, okay, this is what he's about. So the next, we're doing another video on May 29th. I record the next video, which is a song called Radio, which is a fairly mm-hmm. much more aggressive, much more aggressive piece, uh, a much yeah. more aggressive piece of uh, material. So to try and provide a bookend so people can say, okay, wait a minute, this guy is, right. isn't a one-trick pony in ballads over here, which would be the issue. So that's where you always get in the challenge of what do you market first as an emerging artist, right. so to speak. How do you go right. How do you go forward? You know, unless you've got a very, very consistent sound and most of the songs sound a certain way, then it's mm-hmm. easy. But in my case, I walk a very fairly wide spectrum of, of, of genres. So, um, but they all blend together in some weird kind of way. You know, right. so you know, it's, you, know, you know it's a sound. 
Radio is another good one. It's uh, you know kicks off the album, so it's a, it's a good one to to make the next single. Um, you know, I want to thank you for coming on, Stephen, and uh, talking about the album. Um, I, I dig the album, and uh, wish you a lot of luck with it. Um, one thing I do want to mention, you know, you know, people go out and buy the album. That proceeds, you know, some of the proceeds will benefit St. Jude's Children's Research and, and Wounded Warriors. So that's a, another, you know, great thing that uh, you're doing here with this. Um, is there a reason why you kind of decide those charities? Uh, well, they're both very respectful charities. You know, I think that mm-hmm. there's uh, obviously St. Jude's has to do with children, which which speaks right. to my own personal um, mm-hmm. situation. And then uh, on the Wounded Warriors, you know, there there are vets. You know, they're, these are guys. I'm not a vet myself, but but I, I have uh, so much respect for the guys that are out there. You know, protecting us and protecting our country and our way of life. And it seemed like a uh, the, a very very worthy. We don't do enough of these guys, so right. uh, this is just right. a way for me to kind of help and help and do my part awesome well again thanks a lot for uh taking time to talk to us and uh wish you a lot of luck great thank you sean appreciate the time with you good i thank Stephen for taking the time to talk to us again the album is called ghost shadow and sun that about wraps up this episode. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to drop us a line at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. You can also check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and of course our website, ironcityrocks.com. Till next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>